God is so good. This is like, this is, you know, Super Bowl Sunday. I, I had to chuckle a bit because of a uh, business right next to us. They're, they run their trucks 20, just it feels like 24-7. Every single day, they're, 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 they're gone. If so every single Monday, every Sunday, they're gone, and except today, they're all parked. <laughs> you know? So the world sees this as a real significant day, and I believe for you it will be as well. The Super Bowl is uh, interesting in that in the game, nobody, especially this, at, at the height of this game, where the best AFC and the best NFC get together and to play, nobody plays to lose. They're not out there planning, building plays, doing strategies, trying to figure out how to do this so they can lose. Of course, there is a one of the most popular conspiracy theories out there right now is that all the NFL games are rigged. And I think, okay, well, I suppose anything is true. I don't believe that. But it strikes me that that would mean that there would be players, NFL players, that would go through all that work and all that practice and all that effort and everything that is uh, going on to lose. Nobody, nobody wants to to lose. They want to win, and they want to win big. And this morning, I want to talk to you about how we can, for God, in your life, this week, with everything going on in your life, how you can win big, how you can really see God do amazing things. But it strikes me that even Christians sometimes might be playing to lose, might be doing the things in their life that's actually working against uh, uh, being successful, to be the biggest winner that God has for them and to win big. And you think about it, you think, what are the things that hinders us? What are the biggest hinders, things that hinder us that cause us to, to not be uh, successful, to not win in life and in what God is trying to do in our, in our life? And a lot of times we blame it on all kinds of things, things, this circumstance, that circumstance, I would have won. I would have been better. I would have acted better if just this circumstance would have been different. Or sometimes it's other, other things, the troubles that come in our way, or, or people. <laughs> we like to do that as well, do we not? If that person hadn't have said this, if this person hadn't have done that, then I would have been okay. Then I would have been good. So we, blame, and we even blame it on the enemy, Satan, the devil, <laughs> He, and he's real, and he's out there, and he's working. And I'm, I'm not saying that none of those things have a, a factor in helping us or, or coming against us. But in the end, this is what I think will be your biggest hindrance to winning this week for God and hindering your growth. It's hopelessness. If, there's, if there is anything this world and the enemy uses against us is that they, it makes us believe that our efforts are in vain. That what we're doing really won't make a difference. That, that attending that service or studying that scripture or giving that tither offering or whatever it is, or just giving that kind word to someone when you really want to just hit them. <laughs> come on, come on, this is where we live. Doing that, acting that way, being compassionate, it doesn't make any difference. It's not going to change anything. And the enemy whispers that vanity in our ear. This, it's all vain. It's all meaningless. It's all pointless. 
And there's, if there's anything that causes us or that robs the victory that God has for us, it's to, coming to the point that we don't believe it, it would really make a difference. You see, if, if the Kansas City Chiefs or even <laughs> the Philadelphia Eagles, come on. Now you're going to have to get saved for that. No. <laughs> I'm wearing my Tampa Bay, you know, shirt because, you know, I believe in my team, which is where I live. But that's beside the point. Uh, I all know I root for Dallas. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't realize that there was more than one game in, in the playoffs because that's as far as Dallas ever gets. But that's beside the point. So, that, and, okay, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> the point is if that if the Chiefs or if the Eagles actually believed that everything they're doing was vain, it was pointless. It wouldn't mean how hard would they work? In fact, if they believed that and they went into the game, how hard would they run? How far would they stretch out to make that catch? Or how hard would they try to block someone? Because it's all pointless. It's all, it's all, it doesn't mean anything. And that's what happens, I think, to us so often. It doesn't mean anything. Nothing's changing. Nothing's turning around. Nothing, God's not working. It's all in vain. And that is a lie of the enemy that keeps us from winning <laughs> big. So this morning, I want to start with just a foundation verse. It's just something you need to put in your spirit. We're just going to lay it right down there because this is important to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, so that's all of us. He says, stand firm. Stand firm. Come on, don't be pushed over. Don't be swayed by, oh, that didn't work out, or God's not with me, or that's not going to work. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't be moved by all these things. Always give yourself fully, completely to the work of the Lord because you know, because you know. I'm going to pause there for a second because that is, I think, the, the center of all this verse is telling us about. Do you know? Do you know? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. Do you know that? I, I think so often that's what we struggle with. Your life is not in vain. <laughs> the, the reward that God has for you, this is, we're in the middle of this series I'm calling Steel and Stone, of steel and stone. Steel means the courage and the strength to stand, and stone represents the precious stones that we build with, <laughs> that we that remain, that God will give us. Do you know that God has a reward? Do we really believe that? Do we believe that, that, that God keeps me every single day? Your life is not in vain. God will reward you. And so often we leave, we, we have these vain feelings, and you know what? You need to understand where they come from. Because hopelessness comes from a sense that it's all in vain. But all in vain, everything in vain comes from what? It comes from a sense of injustice. God, this isn't fair. You ever heard that? You ever felt that? God, this isn't fair. Why did you do this? Why did that happen? Why did? And we have this injustice and this injustice. And well, then what does it matter? What does it matter? What does it matter? And then that sense of, of, of what does it matter creates hopelessness. And hopelessness robs the wind. The, the thing, the very thing that God's trying to do in your life. So this morning in our series, and we're going through 1 Thessalonians, I want to talk about win big. You can win big. God has a big win for you. This morning, right here, 
And whatever that means, whatever, how that translates into your heart and your mind and your spirit as you're sitting there, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is going to guide you and lead you and help you understand. He's got a victory for you. He's got a win. God, are we ready for that? Are we ready for the, the big win? Are, do we really believe that God is going to do that? that? Do we believe that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him? We've got to believe he is. Okay, that's important. <laughs> but sometimes that's where people stop. That's all they think of. I believe in God. Good for you. But are you diligently seeking him? It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we didn't fall it is, it, or, or stumble or have troubles. But it does mean that we, our heart and soul and everything is in what God is doing. So we're going to start in, in going through. We're just gonna, I'm just going to hit some highlights of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to lead with the, the, what the whole chapter is about. <laughs> I'm going to go, what is this chapter about? I'll tell you what it out. He starts out, Paul starts out, and he's writing. And this is uh, what he, he says it's, it, it's really all about. Go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians. And uh, let's see, we, we need to read chapter uh, uh, verse 1. There it is. Put up that verse. Do you have it? Is it there? Oh, it's there. It's back there. Turn around, Greg. Okay, here it is. You know, you know, you know, you know, church. Now, I, okay, so the Bible says just brothers, and then they supply uh, sisters because they don't want anyone to feel left out. But the whole meaning of brothers is church, you. So he's talking to you. He's talking to the church. You know, church, that our ministry to you was not in vain. Now, you've got to catch what Paul's saying here. Our ministry was not in vain. Therefore, you are not in vain. Therefore, what you're doing is not in vain. Therefore, the lives you touch is not in vain. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your, your ministry is not in vain? Do you really believe that? Do you understand that God is doing something so profound? How do we know that it's not in vain? How do we understand that? Let's look at my first thought. If you're going to win big, okay, here it is. If you're going to win big... You win big by seeking the right approval. That's such a simple little, it's a simple little thought, but it's something that I think affects every one of us. So here's Peter, Jesus' man. <laughs> here's Peter, you know, Peter who, who Jesus is counting on, and Jesus is at his trial. And Peter, I think, was close because he wanted to show Jesus that he was most important. So I think he was hanging around saying, I'm here, Jesus. <laughs> I can't go in there, but I, I'm here. And then all of a sudden, he faced this, this incredible trial because these people around him start saying, hey, 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 aren't you, aren't you one of the disciples? And the story I love the, the most is the, is the young girl. It's a little girl. She's standing there and says, hey, I know you. You're one of the disciples. And Peter just explodes and says, I am not. <laughs> Do you realize even though he was there for Jesus, the approval of that little girl was more important to him than what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was going through. And we just think, how crazy is that? And yet, is that not what we do? We seek the approval of this world. We seek the approval of things that are going on around us. We think, if, if, I, I need to make sure that person's okay. I need to make sure this is okay. And our life is run by the world and seeking its approval. We can't say that. We can't do this. Hey, we live in a crazy world right now 
where they're coming after radical Christians, <laughs> which means you serve God. So just understand that. You've got to be okay with that. You've got you to be good with that. Stand firm. <laughs> Don't be moved when all these things happen. Trust God. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 now. It says, as those you are, you, you, you are as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So God has approved you. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. Now, as great as that translation is, I need to explain it a bit because you miss Paul's uh, point, <laughs> what the, the really reference, the, what he's getting at to, because he repeats the word over and over, but they translate it differently in each part, which it, it's a true translation. But basically, this is, this is what he says. God approved you so that you're not seeking the approval of others because God approved your heart. <laughs> He's, he's really trying to make a point is that God is the one that approves us so that we don't have to seek approval of the world so that God knows that our heart is right. Man, that's so amazing. Do we seek God's approval? Is that what we're seeking? I remember I, when I was uh, 15, 14 and a half, I think, you could apply for a motorcycle driver's license. And, then, and my dad had a, it was a motorcycle that was handed down from my uh, older brothers. It was a, a Honda 100, so just a little bitty motorcycle. But I grew up on it. My dad taught me how to ride. I knew how to ride a motorcycle, especially this small little 100. <laughs> we did dirt bikes bigger than that. But this was a street bike. And so we went and take the test. Okay, this is how they did it then. It's way back. Way back. Okay. No, not horse and buggies. We had a motorcycle. So what happened was is that you, I had to drive on my motorcycle. I had my helmet, car behind me, right? And, and dad was driving the car. You had to su supply your own car. Dad was driving the car, and then the, the person that was grading me that was following us was in the front seat with him. And, the, and what he was supposed to do is honk twice for right, honk once for left, or the other way around. I don't remember. I was 14 and a half, and I was a bit nervous and everything, and I had the helmet on, and for some reason, I just couldn't hear. I couldn't hear, so he would honk twice, I'd go laugh, he'd honk again, and I'm going, wait, so I'm going literally in circles, okay? And so I'm thinking, this is awful, this is terrible, I'm going to fail. I get to the end, and he's actually standing there with the clipboard, you know, that's when tests were used to be real tests, you know, standing there, adding it all up, and he says, okay, well, you passed, you got 72, out of, and you only needed 70 to pass. Yes! <laughs> and of course, I was upset because I wanted 100 because I was like, I can ride a motorcycle, you know, I know how to do that. And my dad just comes up alongside me, and, and he, said, he said, that's all that matters, Greg. He said, you pass. doesn't matter. In the end, 10 years from now, such wisdom. <laughs> the, the Father will help you pass. <laughs> but this is what I remember. They, took the, they actually take the piece of paper, back in the olden days, and they put it in there, and he, she had a stamp behind the counter, and she took the stamp and stamped it. It said approved. <laughs> I was approved. And this is what you need to understand. God has a stamp through the power of his Holy Spirit, and he takes it and he stamps you approved. You say, well, Greg, I'm not perfect. I, I didn't get it all right. I didn't make every single turn. I, could, I couldn't hear, whatever, <laughs> you know, all the things like that. But in the end, if our heart belongs to God, we are approved. I'm going to tell a story as we move along. 
from that I actually introduced last Wednesday about the story of the prophet Balaam. The prophet Balaam, you can find it in Numbers 22. The prophet, this is a fascinating story because the prophet Balaam was from the Euphrates area, basically Iraq, right? Israel was coming out of Egypt at this same time. He was coming out of Egypt. And so the, the, the king, Moab king, said, man, Israel's going to overwhelm us. So he said, I've heard of a prophet who whoever he blesses is blessed and whoever he curses is cursed. Let's go get this prophet and let's get him to curse these, the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And so they sent a delegation to him and it went to him. Now, what's amazing is this is a prophet of God, but he doesn't know anything about Israel because he's over in Iraq, right? In Egypt, he didn't know anything. God has these people. <laughs> they may not know you, but God has these people. So we've got to be good with that, right? So he, they come to Balaam and they said, Balaam, why don't you come curse? And he says, okay, you know, maybe, maybe that's what God wants. Yeah, I don't know these people. <laughs> so he goes and prays and God says, no, <laughs> these are my people. This, I'm going to build a nation out of these people. You are not to curse them. Do not go. So he comes out and says, oh, man, I can't do it. Sorry, God said no. Well, they didn't give up. They didn't give up. They sent another delegation that talked a little bit better, a little bit smoother, and offered a lot more money. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Balaam goes, maybe I didn't hear God right. <laughs> okay, now I'm, now I'm going to be stepping on toes because this is where we live. Maybe God will. Maybe it's okay. So he goes back and pray, and God goes, I told you not to curse them. I told you. I told you that, but I see your heart is already set in it. I already see your heart's going, so go ahead and go. Well, what Balaam didn't know is that God had sent an angel, and that angel was there to kill him because his heart was against God. See, God had already said, don't go. And if God's already said, don't go, then going back and asking, God, are you sure? You really, really, really want to go? Because what happens is we will follow after our own heart. We will follow after what is it's going on in our, in, in our life. So we seek the approval. We seek the approval. Do you know that God has stamped you, stamped you as approved? Balaam was seeking the approval of the world. And it might be money. It might be fame. It might be a full auditorium. I don't know what it is. Hey, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Here's my second thought. You will win big... <laughs> When you lay down your life, when you really lay down everything that is going on. See, winning big takes a whole heart. It takes everything. Serving God, serving Christ means that we're going to have to say, God, here, here, here it is. And sometimes we divide it all up and say, God, I'll give you this, this, this bit, this bit, instead of giving him everything, everything that we are, just surrendering it all. Look what it says in verse 8 of Second Thessalonians, or First Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, our very lives. And then Paul says, we will lay down our life for you. We will lay down everything for you. We have given you all. This is what it takes to win big. And this is what he's trying to teach the church. This church is an amazing church, having an incredible impact. And the reason is because they had the model of Paul who followed the model of Christ to lay down his life. And they were willing to do the same. Leave it on the field. You ever heard that NFL expression or college or whatever? Leave it on the field. That means you gave everything. You might have lost, but you gave it all. Do we understand that as believers that we got to leave it on the field? We got to trust God with everything, even when even when we don't, even when we're not the star. You see, the lineman's out there blocking. He's blocking hard. He's blocking hard. He gets no glory. <laughs> he is not going to be envy, 
MVP. I think Mahomes got it this year, right, you know? So, you know, that's a quarterback. Those are the people that get the most valuable player, not the linemen. But without the linemen, that quarterback is demolished. It's like playing for San Francisco. You've got no quarterback. <laughs> it just gets wiped out because they lay down everything for someone else. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to leave it all on the field? So Balaam is riding his donkey. And he's going along, and all of a sudden, Donkey, we, we know his name because from Shrek, that's what they think, Donkey. So Donkey, Donkey is sitting there going, uh-oh. So Donkey looks up and sees this angel with the sword and, 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 and turns aside. And Balaam gets his big old stick out and starts pounding him. Remember, Balaam isn't alone. You forget that because it doesn't talk about the story. Balaam is with these other people. They're coming back. And it, they're all looking at you. You're going to curse these, these people here? You're going to curse so he beats him, beats him, beats him, beats him. Gets back up, going along. <laughs> and he gets back up and he's, it, it is going along. All of a sudden, the donkey sees the, the angel again and brushes up against a big brush or something and crushes uh, Balaam's leg. And Balaam gets furious and beats him, beats him, beats <laughs> him. And this had happened the third time. And the third time, donkey just falls down and rolls over on his leg so, he, so Balaam can't move. And he beats him and beats him and beats him. And then God, in his graciousness, opens up donkey's mouth. And donkey says, why are you beating me? And this is how we know what this story is about. Watch carefully. Why are you beating me? Have I not always been your loyal donkey? Have I not always cared for you? Now, sometimes we think this story is about God can use a donkey, he can use me. But that's not the story about at all. What the story is really all about is the faithful blows that a friend will take so that you can be spared. That's what the story is about. Because, you see, in, in, in the Old Testament, a donkey is known for their loyalty. If you take a donkey and a horse and lead them up to water, and then you say, go in, and the water's really fast and maybe dangerous, the horse you can make go in. The donkey won't go. Because <laughs> it says, we're, we're going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. I'm not going in there. I don't care how many times you beat me. Stubborn donkey, because he knows to protect. And what this story is really all about is that donkey... Not only took the hits once, not only twice, but three times. Took the blows like someone did for you, closer than a friend, so that we can be spared. And that is, if that isn't a picture of Jesus, I don't know what is. That he would lay down his life so that you could be better. You see, we, we need to understand Jesus took the blows of sin so that you and I, can stand. You and I can be spared. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God is so incredible? Here's my other thought. You'll win big by seeing beyond the, na the natural, beyond the natural, beyond what is around you. This life is wonderful. It has such wonderful things. You need to enjoy this life. You need to live it to the fullest. I'm telling you, enjoy everything. But remember this, it's only a foretaste of how good it's really going to be. It's only a little, a little sample of what it's going to be in eternity. And we lose sight of that, and we think it's all about this world, and it's all about what I could get. It's all about here, and it's so much more than that. Life is just a foretaste. We have to see the spiritual. And this is what he says in chapter 2, verse 13, when he says, when you receive the word, the word of God, 
You heard it from us. You accepted it, not as human word, but as, but as it actually is, <laughs> the word of God. You accepted it as the word of God. And I'm telling you people, we have to learn how to understand that the God is speaking, that God is the one that's moving. You see, are we willing? I don't want you to receive Greg's preaching. I want, to see, I want you to receive the Spirit speaking. God speaking to you. God helping you understand how do I live stronger? How do I receive everything that God is trying to do? God, in his graciousness, then opened Balaam's eyes. And Balaam saw the angel with the sword. He saw it right there. And it, the funny part is, the angel said, very same thing the donkey was saying. Why are you beating your donkey? Why are you doing that? Are you clueless? And he says, this is what he said. I didn't know. I couldn't see. I didn't understand. <laughs> Literally, that's what he said. And I think for us, so often, we don't see beyond this natural. We don't understand, I know this was hard, and I know this was difficult, and I know you suffered here, and I know this didn't work out like you planned, but God is so much bigger than that, so much bigger than our small little natural world. He moves in power and grace, taking things that seem impossible and turning them around so that we see. Because you see, when we don't see, when you don't understand, you know what happens? You start thinking, what's the point? This is all in vain. Why does it matter? And you cannot live that way. Because if you live that way, it produces hopelessness. And hopelessness will rob the very wind that God's trying to do in your life. Let me share this last thought. You'll win big when you start to understand how to battle against compromise. You think, well, Greg, what is, what is this all about? I don't have time to read it all, but if you look at read of the last section of second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is in essence what Paul does, and I just put a, a, a few phrases to help us understand. He said in verses 19 and 20, he said, Satan blocked our way. Satan came against us. The devil's out there trying to do bad things, okay? That means we don't fear him, but he's out there. We have a real enemy trying to work. And he said he actually blocked our way, but we're so committed. We're so willing that no matter what, you, uh, we're going to be there because you are our glory. You are our joy. That's what he's tell, told the church. Paul understood that Satan was going to come against him, but you know what he did? He said, I'll find a way. I'll find a way. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to say that, oh, no, I can't go. Oh, this isn't working. I'm going to do everything and everything and everything I, I can. You would think the story of Balaam would end really well. But it did not. You see, he went and they paid him to curse and he blessed Israel. And they said, what, what, what? don't do that. We just paid you to curse him. And he said, I, even if I wanted to, I couldn't. Because only blessing come out, and there's a little thought. You, we do not live under a curse. And nothing can curse you. Why? Because you are blessed. And what God blesses, God blesses. And don't worry about any of that other, because God is able to keep you and sustain you no matter what. 
But you have to really go all the way to the book of Revelation, the church of Pergamon, to understand the depth that Balaam fell. Because in, 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 in when he's talking to the church, Jesus is talking to the church of Pergamon in, in Revelation, I think it's chapter 2. He said, man, you guys live in a rough, rough, rough place. And I'm so proud of you. You've, you're doing amazing. But I got one thing against you. You have adopted the teaching of Balaam. What is that? What is the teaching of Balaam? The teaching of Balaam, is, he goes on to say, is that you have allowed, you have allowed that, that the teaching of Balaam was, he came to the, the Moab king and said, this is what you do. Just get your daughters, your women, and all of their idols to intermarry with Israel's men. And eventually, all the idols that they serve will be idols that Israel serves. Just that little compromise. Just do that little bit. And Israel's heart turned away from God because they accepted the compromise. That's the teaching of Balaam. And we can't do that. Let me end with this last story. Many years ago, when America was first being settled, some of the early settlers came, and they were working with the Native American Indians. And they had a really good relationship with them. But these settlers were, were starving. True story, as far as I understand it. They, were, they weren't doing well. So the Native American Indians invited them and said, come, come have a feast with us. And they came, and they had all these ducks. I mean ducks. Rows and rows of ducks because that was a main source of food. There was ducks everywhere. There's a river right there. They all hung out there. But the settlers began to notice something really peculiar. There was no markings on these ducks. There was no arrows. There was no knife wound, nothing. They thought, what killed these ducks? How did you get all these ducks? And there's not a single mark on them. He says, oh, it's easy. I'll show you. So he goes down the river, and he takes a pumpkin out of sight from the rest of the ducks because there's thousands of ducks just sitting on the water. And he throws the pumpkin in the water, and the pumpkin turns a corner and starts to float toward the ducks. And as soon as the ducks see it, they all fly away. The sailor's thinking, well, that worked well. He said, no, no, no. You got to be patient. So he takes another one after they all come and land again back in the water and throws in the water, turns a corner, duck sees it, and all fly away a little bit slower than they did the first time. And he repeated it. And each time the pumpkin got closer and closer until at last the pumpkin was floating and bumping into the ducks and floating in the bump and moving all around. And the ducks said, that's okay. You know why? Because the ducks learned that pumpkins can't hurt ducks. They learned that. Then the Native American Indian took a pumpkin that was hollowed out, had these two little slits in it, puts it over his head, and slips into the water. And walked slowly across the, the river to where all the ducks were. Now the ducks saw the pumpkin coming, but they didn't fly away. Why? Pumpkins can't hurt he got really close until he was able to reach underneath the water. The duck's little feet were just paddling along and grabbed the duck's feet and pulled them under until they drowned. Now, that was a while because ducks can breathe under a long time, hold their breath under a long, but eventually they died. Why? Because they learned pumpkins can't hurt 
And sometimes we say, God, I've been doing this for years. That's okay. I've been living this way for years. I've been accepting this. And we have learned that sin doesn't hurt me. That compromise is okay. That fear, resentment, jealousy, pride, sin. It's all right. Because it can't hurt me. I've been a Christian all these years and it doesn't do it. Until someday we find ourselves underneath water and we're thinking, God, what is going on? Why am I struggling so much? Because <laughs> we learn that pumpkins don't hurt ducks. But sin, left unchecked, can pull us under. This is not a condemnation. This is the understanding how we win. Come on, how are we going to win? Because I started this. You're going to win. God has a win for you. But that win means we've got to trust him with all of our heart. We're going to have to live where we're not seeking the approval of the world. And we're not following after what other things want. But we're seeking God with all of our heart. We'll leave it all on the field. And we'll say, God, help me. I don't want to live. I don't want to live compromised. You see, at first, sin bothers us. Then we, it just tolerates then we ignore it. What? I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> Come on. This is where we live. Come on. This, this, is where, this is where we're at. And then we justify it. Well, if you knew, then we accept it. But we're going to win big. And that means we're going to surrender all of this to God. And that's our challenge. Your work is not in vain. <laughs> your work is not in vain. Your repentance is not in vain. Your efforts to serve God, it's not in vain. What God's doing, it's not in vain. The, the, the love and the gospel that you poured in your children is not in vain. Some of you need to hear that. It's not in vain. God is there. God is there. I'm telling you, you can trust God. Everything that you have committed into God and with all of your heart is not in vain. And neither is your life. Because God has already stamped you approved. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, allow your grace and your love and your mercy to flow ever, over every single heart. And God, whether we're finding ourselves just tolerating things or we're finding ourselves drowning underwater, I pray right now your grace just moves across our heart. That Father, you are so eager to stamp us approved by your Holy Spirit, by your forgiveness, by your grace. And I pray, God, if there's anybody, anybody in this place that is not living for you, that's going their own way, that's seeking the approval of this world and not you, God, I pray right now, you would stir their heart with the power of your Holy Spirit and conviction that they say, I'm going to live for God. And that everyone watching online and everyone in this room that's in that place would pray with me and say, dear Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins. Forgive me of my pride in seeking after the world. Remove all of that. I give you my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Isn't God good?